In the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, I hope everyone had a nice Thanksgiving and a very safe Black Friday. Probably not the uh, monstrosity that it used to be, I guess. I hope not. But now it's time, of course, to say Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Why? Because today is the first Sunday of the church's new year. The first Sunday in the season of Advent. We are beginning again to tell the story of Jesus. Now outside the church, with the passing of Thanksgiving, we have moved from orange and brown to red and green. What, right? We have moved from pumpkin spice to peppermint. Uh, and no one has the right any longer to say that it's too early for Christmas music. And we are barreling towards the holly jolly, and it is the most Amazon time of the year. And on some level, I think that we expect, since we're doing that outside the church, we expect to be doing that inside the church. Not, of course, barreling towards Santa Claus, but, but towards Bethlehem and the manger we might expect then to start Advent with the birth of John the Baptist or uh, with the Annunciation of Mary that she would bear the Christ. But that is absolutely not what our readings have us doing, especially the Gospel reading I just read, which comes from the very end of Jesus' ministry in Luke chapter 21. And there Jesus is not talking about shepherds and angels, but about gloom and doom and distress and the end times. What is going on? You may know that in one of the best-selling business books of all times, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, some of you, many of you may have read that, Stephen Covey, the author, says that when you begin something new, you should begin with the end in mind. Begin with the end in mind. Which is to say, when you take a trip, you don't begin the trip without knowing where you're going, right? And so as we begin Advent, begin again to tell the story of the life and the ministry of Jesus, we begin with the destination. We begin not with his first coming, but with his coming again. It's like maybe a movie that starts, the very beginning of the movie is the clip from the, uh, uh, the ultimate scene, the final scene. And then it goes back and says 24 hours earlier, or in this case, several millennia earlier. Every week we proclaim during communion over in the right to service, Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. So we believe it, we don't talk about it too much. And at least part of why we don't talk about it too much is because there is just so much uncertainty around how it will happen, and when it will happen, and what it will look like. So much of the scriptural imagery around the second coming of Christ is apocalyptic, cataclysmic, metaphorical. And so, though, though some certainly have made bold predictions, we typically want to be hesitant to speak 
without too much certainty around the specifics other than to say Christ will come again. I can remember a seminary professor of mine pointing out that before the time of Jesus, before Jesus came the first time, scholars and sages had all the same scriptures that you and I have, all looking forward to the incarnation of Christ, all the scriptures that you and I see that line up perfectly with how it happened, and yet none of them predicted how it, that it would look like it, uh, that it would look like it looked. The professor's point was that no matter what we think his second coming is going to look like, that God has something even more wonderful in store than we can imagine. And yet it occurs to me that perhaps the second coming of Jesus is not just something we should tolerate bravely on Advent 1 before getting down to the real business of Christmas. Maybe, maybe the second coming is the point. Maybe the second coming of Jesus is the frame and the goal of the whole story all year long. The heart's desire of every believer to see Jesus Christ coming on clouds descending once for our salvation slain thousand thousand saints attending swell the triumph of his train alleluia alleluia christ the lord returns to reign it's the goal of the whole story so we're beginning with the end in mind because the end is the goal the desired destination, and our great hope. Advent begins by fixing our gaze on the farthest horizon of our salvation, hungering with anticipation for the return of Christ. And surely the best way to ponder the second coming is to remember the first coming as vividly as possible. And so Advent, then over the course of the next Weeks shifts our gaze to anticipate the ministry of Jesus through John the Baptist and then to anticipate the first coming of Jesus through young Mary and the Magnificat until finally, on Christmas Eve, we'll be ready to welcome the incarnation of God, the baby in the manger. And we're going to get there. But with all the wisdom of the church, Begin Advent with the end in mind. Luke chapter 21. And in this passage, Jesus is in the last week of his life, and his teaching has shifted already from beloved parables and comforting words to much darker, much more frightful prophecy about the destruction of Jerusalem and the persecution of his followers. Now here he shifts the conversation to a much later time, much later than the disciples could possibly have guessed. He talks about his return. He says, in the midst of political, environmental, and even emotional distress, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now it's interesting, of course, 
that the distress that Jesus says will precede his coming in a cloud of glory could actually describe any time period. Political, environmental, emotional distress. Describe any time period, which is why some in every time period have believed that they were living in the period of Jesus' return. And maybe we are. But if we are not, that does not make Jesus' words in this passage any less relevant to us. Because we've been in the end time since Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father. Now, I will say that one of the very difficult passages, the very difficult lines in this passage, is when Jesus says, this generation will not pass away until all things have taken place. Because it could look like Jesus is just flat wrong about the timing of his return. And if he's wrong about that, what else is he wrong about? The scholars will point out that throughout the Gospel of Luke, this phrase, this generation, is actually very common. And without exception, this generation always refers to unfaithful people. Jesus, then, is not predicting that particular people or particular decades will see these events. He's simply saying that there will always be unfaithful people until all of these things take place. And if there are unfaithful people, then there are plenty of opportunities for the faithful to be tempted or fooled or lured away from faithfulness. And so really Jesus has just two words to his disciples and therefore to you and me. One, be confident. Two, be ready. Be confident, be ready. First, be confident. Now, Jesus is describing some very scary times. Changes in the sun and the the moon and the stars. Distress among the nations because of the rising and the roaring of the sea. Maybe it's all literal. Maybe it's all figurative. What seems clear is that there will be global unrest and people will be terribly, terribly afraid. And it will be into this very dark situation, this very dark reality, that Jesus will come on a cloud in power and great glory. And this time he's not coming in grace. He's coming in judgment. In just a minute, we'll say in the Nicene Creed, He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. And the coming of the judge of all will be incredibly scary for some. For those who have denied Him all their lives. For those who have called Him evil. For those who have called Him non-existent. They will run in terror of divine judgment, but not you. Not his disciples. Jesus tells us to stand up, raise our heads, because our redemption is drawing near. Have you ever seen one of those uh, clips from like America's Funniest Home Videos where the side of the house falls over and there's somebody standing there and it looks for all the world like they're going to be crushed, but they're actually standing where a window falls and and they're left and they're just fine as it crashes all around them? It's going to be like that 
for believers in Christ, both the living and the dead. Judgment may fall all around us, but because Jesus has already taken our judgment upon himself, we can stand and raise our heads. Because on the cross, the law of the wall of the law of God fell upon Jesus and crushed him so that you and I could stand and rejoice to behold his appearing. Be confident. Not in yourself, not in your long resume of good deeds, but be confident in the salvation that you have received. If we stand in the faith of Christ, we do not fear his judgment, not even a little bit. So be confident. This is both a command and an invitation. Be confident. And second, be ready. Be ready. Jesus says, be on guard. And what he's talking about is how we live our lives. Don't get lax, thinking that his coming is far off, so it doesn't really matter how we live. It matters how we live. Guard your heart, he says, so that you're not weighed down with dissipation. Now, that that means excess. (laughs) We're just days away from the biggest feast of the year and Black Friday. We could probably just stop right there, right? Don't be weighed down with excess in our lives or with drunkenness. Headed into the holiday party season with the worries of life from credit card debt to family estrangement to work stress and who knows what else. There are all sorts of things that can pull our eyes off of the coming king. But he is the goal. He's the goal. Remember, Christianity is not about us and what we are to do, but about Jesus and what he has already done and what he will do. So be on guard, be alert, like a firefighter who is ready for that bell to ring at any moment, even if it hadn't rung all week. We need to be ready, not lax in the practice of our faith, but diligent for the glory of God in our lives. Not to avoid judgment, because again, that's been done on the cross, but so that our hearts are ready to receive him. Because Jesus might come back. Or we might not make it home. We don't live in fear, but we do stay ready to meet him face to face. So whether he comes to us or we go to him, we are confident. We're ready. As we begin this Advent, and as we have so many fun holiday distractions and lights and parties, we don't rush ahead to the baby in swaddling clothes. We linger on the coming King. We fix our eyes on the farthest horizon of our salvation, on the frame and goal of our heart's preparation. We begin with the end in mind. Amen.